Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every day, the future's getting closer. Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. So today's podcast, we are going to talk calculations again. And it seems that I get a lot of questions from people that are preparing for an exam. And I'm assuming they didn't watch our video on optional calculations and standard method calculations for dwelling units and things like that, because that would probably answer most of their questions. Uh, But some of the questions I'm getting asked, ask me to do a podcast. Uh, They like the podcast so they can listen on the job and it works. So I'm going to do one And we're going to pretty much answer some of the questions here when it comes to standard and optional calculations. Now, uh, first things first, one of the questions asks, when would you use the standard versus the optional or vice versa? Um, Well, the optionals is generally always going to result in a smaller service and potentially smaller service conductors. Okay, Um, It's the inherent nature of its demand factors. Uh, that it does that the first 10,000 at 100% and the remainder at 40 and you're taking full nameplate and everything. So you have some some good diversity and some demand factors in the optional method where when you're dealing with the standard method, uh, you really, once you get past the general lighting, receptacles, small appliance and laundry, that's your big demand factor uh, and you apply that. And of course, you've got some additional uh, demand factors if you're dealing with fastened in place appliances uh, and you, you're, you're running into where you have uh, four or more, you do get to take a 75% demand factor for that. Um, and you do have your tables for dryers and oven ranges and, and heat and air conditioning. But I, I think what I fall into the most of the time is that um, you get much more demand diversity with the optional method, which results in a smaller service. Now, with that said, I always tell people um, you should always go into this with the understanding that you're going to have to really do both. Um, I know a lot of electricians today can just eyeball something and not do a calculation and then they end up calling and, and having a problem with something. And I, first thing I always ask them, did you do the calc? And they, they, I can tell by their pause that they really didn't. They're like, well, I've built houses like this before, this size, and it's always been this or this or this. And I'm like, I understand. Uh, I said, but you know, homes today are getting more and more power hungry with the appliances and things that we put in it. So I'm just saying, at least for an exam, 
you've got to learn how to do the calc, right? I mean, you've got to learn to do the calc. Now, whether or not you put it in practice in, in the real world um, is one thing. But to get past that hurdle uh, of uh, minimum acceptable knowledge to give you a license, I mean, you got you got to know how to do it. Now, the biggest thing is on most of the exams, you don't know how to, you don't have to do this for an entire uh, dwelling or for an entire small office building. Right? They only want to know the pieces, that you understand the pieces. You understand that fastened in place appliances in 220.53 is when there's four or more that you, when you're doing the standard method, that you have a 75% uh, that you can apply, um, a demand factor for that. They, they don't understand that. Uh, when it comes to the optional method that you you take the full you know nameplate values and and do it because you're only getting one solid diversity you're only getting the first ten thousand at hundred percent and the remainder at a forty but you you get to add that to all of the the items that in the category except for obviously heat and air conditioning which is a totally separate uh, but they don't understand that in the standard method you're given some pieces that you can use whereas in the optional it's just a, it's a lump. Uh, and ultimately, the, the optional becomes uh, usually is always going to result in a smaller service, smaller conductors. So that's why most people go with the optional method. Uh, smaller means less cost. Uh, again, there's enough diversity. And if I'm given the option to use one over the other, uh, you know, am I just going to arbitrarily throw a, a larger service as necessary uh, based on my calc? Um, you know, so am I going to throw larger conductors as necessary? Uh, maybe. Um, but again, you got to compare the two. And most uh, exams will want to it'll state whether or not you use the standard and then it'll tell you unless it states to use the optional you consider the standard method because that is the standard method part three that's the method you would use uh, part three of article 220 that is so it's important that you understand how to do both right so today I've, I've already gone over this in two videos so if you haven't watched our videos you need to go over to our YouTube channel which is uh, youtube.com forward slash master the NEC. It's all one word, M-A-S-T-E-R-T-H-E-N-E-C. And you will see it, and you just need to scroll down through the videos, and you'll see the optional and standard calculations for dwellings. Uh, and it really goes through an example of a dwelling, and I walk you all the way through it, and that should be pretty much self-explanatory. Is it going to cover every possible scenario that you might run into? No, but it's going to give you the foundation to put you in there because originally what you were going to do anyway is just simply guess at it, right? So it gives you that foundation. Uh, but one of the emails I've got, and they said, Paul, in a podcast, because he likes to listen to it as he rides down the road, um, can I give a, a synopsis, if you will, of the standard method for a one-family dwelling so that they can build on their knowledge and he can take this to his team out in the field? Okay. Well, there's a couple things to understand, and I think what happens is when everybody gets into 220, they get lost, especially if you're preparing for an exam. It looks overpowering, overwhelming, and you're like, well, God, it jumps from 220.12 to 220.14, and the next thing I know, I got to use the demand factors in 220.42, and then it jumps down into 220.53 for fastened place appliances, then, oh my God, it jumps over to 220.54 for dryers, then ranges in 220.55, then heating and air conditioning in 220.60, Oh, and then you say, oh, but what about the largest motor? That ends up being a 220.50, unless your motor also is the uh, AC compressor, and then that's uh, going to put you into a, an application where you're going to need to be 440. All of those, incidentally, is additional 25% of the largest motor. Anyway, it all gets confusing, and they start losing the jump around. And then some people will even start to incorporate 
the receptacle applications, let's say, uh, where it's 180 VA per square foot for a dwelling application, and that has nothing to do with the dwellings, okay? The receptacle's general use is encompassed in your VA calculation for the general lighting. And somebody, and some people will say, well, yeah, but 220.12 says general lighting. It doesn't say receptacle. It should say receptacle if you want me to be there. I get it. It, it can be confusing, but not once you learn the flow. Once you learn the flow, it becomes fairly easy, and it's almost like anything. If you test yourself enough times, you do enough calculations, you, 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 you set up a mock uh, dwelling or maybe one that you've wired before and say, okay, now I'm going to really set this thing up. Uh, the one thing that's difficult sometimes for electricians is that a lot of times when we get into a dwelling application, we don't know absolutely all the loads we're dealing with uh, right away. We don't know the if it has wall-mounted ovens or ranges or size dryer. I mean, we don't know any of those things. Okay, so uh, that's where a lot of times you have to reach out to somebody. Uh, and, and say what's going on here. Ask the designer. Ask the owners what they're looking to put in here because they got to kind of know what they're doing. But you know that's real world. On an exam, they're going to give you all the values that you use. So we have to understand that we have to separate reality versus what's going to get us past an exam. Uh, on an exam, only answer what they ask you to answer. Don't speculate. Don't elaborate. Don't assume, just simply answer what's on the paper, okay? It's the easiest thing. I get a lot of people that take something, they'll go, but that's just not how we would do it in the real world. And I'm like, exams are not real world. They're just an exam. They want to test your knowledge of maneuvering the NEC. Then people say, what's the point? NEC, you can just study the NEC and pass it and not have any real world experience. Well, first of all, most states, you got to have real world experience in order to qualify to sit for the exam. The only thing that the exam is doing is making sure it's testing your knowledge to maneuver through the NEC, or in some cases, it'll ask you basic knowledge questions because it wants to know that you have the bare bones minimum knowledge at whatever level of proficiency you're trying to certify for or get licensed to. Um, so getting a master's license does not make you a master. It makes you master in license, but it, it takes time to learn all the little things that the nuances of electrical work as a master electrician where you're taking on the, your own responsibility. It's easy to make decisions when somebody else is the one that's going to pay the bill. But when you get to the point where you're making decisions that make a difference, then it, it's a little different. It can be a little different. But basic principles cross the lines from apprentice to journeyman to master. You have to understand the basic principles. And that's usually what's on exams. Now, on the exam, if it's talking calculations uh, for one family dwelling, for example, uh, they're going to give you the values. Okay, they're going to give you, and they'll tell you whether or not to consider standard or optional method. Um, and they're going to state that, like they always will assume copper unless they express otherwise. These are pretty standard things that are on exams, and I think what's important for calculations and keep people from stressing out. And I see a lot of posts on our forum from students who are. They're eager to answer questions for people, but in reality, they're getting it wrong. And, and when I have to take the opportunity, and I, a lot of times I don't want to chime in. I just let people do their thing on there because I got so much going on. But I figured I'm gonna, I don't want it to go the wrong direction. And I don't know it all. I'm just saying when it comes to calcs, you know, there's a certain specific. It's not brain surgery, and you have to follow the concepts. Uh, and then when somebody steps out of those concepts, it it, it it gets frustrating. So we have to get we have to pull it back in. Uh, so what I wanted to do is realize that if you learn how to do a standard method, you're going to learn how to size for the neutral load. If you do the standard method, you're always going to be an adequate service. 
The optional method is acceptable, but when it comes to sizing the neutral, then you ultimately have to still do that same calculation doing the standard method, at least for the neutral loads, uh, in order to come up with the sizing of the neutral conductor. So it's important that you understand how to do both. And again, if you haven't watched our videos, please go watch them. They are free and they were results of webinars. And I go over an optional and a standard method on a dwelling sample and we run all the way through it uh, and, and watch it multiple times until it sinks in. Okay. But what I tell people is break these things in little bits that you can bite off of and stop making it really complicated. For, the, for example, let's just work through a step-by-step -step, what I call blocking format in order to understand how I apply uh, some of the factors when I'm doing a one-family dwelling. Just a simple dwelling. Take your own house and do a load calc on your own house. Okay, You know what appliances are there. Go around and practice. Write down everything that's in your house and do your load calc. It should be a fun exercise for you. All right, so first things first, when you get into the code uh, for part three for standard method, you're going to end up at 220.12. That's just general lighting. Now, one thing you need to remember that that general lighting also includes general use receptacle applications. All right, uh, but it doesn't say that in 220.12 because it says that in 220.14J. Okay, but you have to understand the logical flow here. And some people get lost in the flow, um, and I get it, because it jumps from 220.12, then it jumps up to 220.52. Uh, I get it, but you'll get used to it. Trust me. It, it, it really does flow. All right, so look. The general lighting, it states fairly clearly in 220.12. Uh, and for dwelling units, again, you don't use the open porches values, garages, unused or unfinished portions of space that is not adaptable for future use. That means that attic space that you might store stuff up there, but it's not adaptable uh, for future use in any function. Uh, then you don't count that as space. Okay. Um, so at the end of the day, you use the outside dimensions, and that's all told to us in 220.12. So it's and so you're saying, okay, well, it does reference me to table 220. Dot 12, which is the associated table for the general lighting loads, uh, unit loads. Uh, in there, you'll see dwelling units, and if you follow it to the VA value, which is what we use on the right of that column, you'll see that it's 3 VA per square foot. That's the value you're going to use, and you're going to multiply that value times the square footage of the outside dimensions of the actual dwelling unit. Okay, And so once you have that value, you write it down. That's just kind of your step one in the first block. I'm going to break these into blocks, but that's step one of block A. The next thing you're going to do is you say, okay, what other circuits are required per the National Electrical Code? Well, we know that in 220.52A, and a lot of people will write these things in their code book if you're beyond the exam and exam allows you to write things in. They will write step one next to 220.12, then they'll write step two next to 220.52A. But anyway, the next thing is your small appliances. All dwelling units are required to have a minimum of two small appliance brand circuits in accordance with 210.11C1. That's the branch circuit requirements in 210.11. Now, these are givens. You have to have it. Now, in order to know what VA to attribute it, you have to go to 220.52A. And that's going to tell me that I need 1,500 VA per small appliance branch circuit. Well, 210.11C1 tells me that I have to have at least two. Now, if I have a kitchen... Uh, and in dining area, if I have more than two, then this number wouldn't be just two. It'd be three or be four. Whatever I have is what it's going to be. 
Uh, in this case, if we're just doing something to the minimum and that's all we're going to run uh, is two small appliance brand circuits, then it would be a two. So it'd be 1500 times two. So 3000 VA. So you write that down. So you've got your VA uh, square footage of the outside dimensions of the dwelling times three. You write that down. Step one. Uh, and then, of course, the next one is the 1500 VA per small appliance brand circuit. You write that down. That's step two. And then step three of the first block is laundry branch circuits. Again, we're in the 2017 NEC, so let's not jump to the 2020 yet. Let's stay within the 2017 now for all those that are thinking, well, he's going to go to garages next. Let's not go there. We're staying in 17 for this example. All right, so laundry branch circuits is the next, and it logically follows 220.52a because this is 220.52b. And again, if you look in 210.11c2, it's going to say I have to have at least one in this one family dwelling, all right? So in that case, that is another 1500 VA that I'm gonna add for each laundry circuit, but I have to have a minimum of one. If I have more than one, then I'm gonna have two or three or how many I've ever got. I have to do that times 1500 VA to get me my total VA. So at this point, you have three steps. You have one, which was your square footage outside dimensions times three VA. You two, you was 1500 VA times the number of small appliance brand circuits, which the code says a minimum of two, so that would be 3,000 in our minimum example. And then the third thing was the laundry brand circuit, 1500 VA times however many laundry brand circuits we have. Well, we only required to have at least one per 210.11c2, but if you have more than one, then you have to do 1500 VA for each one of those, but we're doing the minimums right now. So I've got all of these values that I wrote down. Now that is block A. Now block A, is allowed for you to have a demand factor applied to that. And so that demand factor is what kicks in table 220.42. Now 220.42 is going to give us the rules that say, okay, I can apply these demand factors in this application. All right. Now you're probably asking at this point, well, I haven't done anything for receptacles yet. Absolutely you haven't. And I don't want you to even think that you do. Because I don't want you to get confused when it comes to dwelling units. Because if you're thinking about that, you pull out your code book, and I happen to have mine here. Uh, you look at your code book, and you realize that all of these aspects that we're adding up, when, we're, when we get to the aspect for receptacles, you look and you notice that there's a 220.14J that says dwelling occupancies. And in that language, it says that in one family, two family, in multifamily dwellings, and in guest rooms and guest suites, hotels or motels, the outlets specified in J1, J2, and J3 are included in the general lighting load calculations of 220.12. It says it right there. So what is the number one? General use receptacles, 20 amp years rated or less. So typically we're doing 15 or 20 amp circuits. We're done. Um, that's general use, not small appliance, not laundry. We're talking general use. Okay, so anyway, there's your list that excludes you having to add the factor. Now, if I have some specialty load or whatever receptacle, then I have to take that into account. But we're talking general use applications, okay? So that's why I say it's easy just to block that out of your mind for a simple one-family dwelling. Because the receptacle load is incorporated by virtue of 220.14J. So not thinking about it when you're dealing with dwelling units means that you just know that when you're doing these calculations and I'm going to apply the demand factors of table 220.42, that those general use receptacles are already incorporated in here. It's already taken account. It's already figured in. Okay? Keep it simple, folks. So that's your block A. 
and you apply the demand. So what do we know is whatever value those came up when we added all three of those together, uh, you take the first 3,000 VA and you're going to take that at 100%. It means you write 3,000 down. Whatever is remaining after that, then you're going to apply some additional demand factors, whether it's 35% or 25%. It, it, again, it depends on how you're moving through the process. Okay? All right. So as you look at it, you'll notice that if you're at the table 220.42, it'll say that the first 3,000, you take the demand is 100%. So that's 3,000 is 100%. Then it says from 3,001 to 120,000 that you're going to take at 35%. And then, of course, the remaining over 120,000 at 25%. Now, there's not many dwelling units that are going to get to where you're over 120,000, okay? Uh, not pretty much, be pretty tough to, to get to, all right? So you go through that. So that demand, once you apply that, you write that down. And that is the total general lighting and receptacle load for block A. That's done, okay? Step one, step two, step three, done, all right? You've done it, okay? Write that down. Now is when you move on, and you see how you went from 220.12 into 220.52a. You jumped from 220.12 over, and you're doing you're doing residential now. Okay, even though you had to look at 220.14j, that's why I'm saying ignore that so that you don't have to lose track of how you're going down your sequence. Now you're jumping up into the .52 aspects, and you're starting from there. So that's where we, we got our small appliance values, our laundry values, and now we're looking for appliances. All right, We already did the first part, block A. The next thing is block B, and that is fastened in place appliances. Okay, Now I'm going to use the nameplate rating. Okay, And what I'm not going to include in this, when I'm talking about fastened in place appliances, I am not including things like electric ranges, clothes dryers, space heating equipment, or even air conditioning equipment. That's got its own place. We're talking about things like trash compactors, dishwashers, disposals, water heaters. All of those type of appliances are going to go here. Now, if I have three, okay, then if I have three, then I'm going to take them at their value, their total VA value, whatever it is. And if, if I have to understand how to convert using Ohm's Law and Watt's Law, okay, come up with my VA value, all right? But I have to take that full value, okay? Now, if I have four or more of these appliances, then guess what? I take their values and then I get to multiply it by 75%. So I'm adding a With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Man factor here. And then so if the VA of four more... I take their total VA, and then I do it at 75%, and that is B, okay? And so that is my B value. I write that down. So I've got an A value, and i got a B value. The A value is a general lighting receptacle. That's general use receptacle. i got a B value, which are my fastened place appliances. I write that down. Remember, if I have three or less, then I just simply add up the VA values for each of the appliances based on the nameplate rating, okay? So I add those up. Okay. The next thing I go in is to C. Now, C is an iffy. 
And when I say iffy, it means that if there's no clothes dryer, then you don't have to take a value for a clothes dryer. There's not a requirement in the code to have a clothes dryer, okay? But most dwellings have a clothes dryer. Most have a laundry. Now, the laundry circuit really is what's covered the washing machine and the laundry, things like that. Uh, it's not the same. If I have a clothes dryer, then I have to figure it in, all right? So that's another thing on exams. If they don't say anything about, about a clothes dryer, I wouldn't assume a clothes dryer, all right? And if you happen to get that one wrong, I would contest that because there's nothing in the code that requires it. However, if a clothes dryer is present in your calculation, and it probably is going to be present in most dwellings, um, then I have to count for that, okay? If I don't have one, then I don't add it to it. But let's assume that I do. So if I have one, then what you're going to find in 220.54, and I've got a separate video on this as well explaining 220.54, um, is that I'm going to use 5,000 watts, which just to remind you, watts is equivalent to kilovolt amperes. Okay, so it's kW in watts. It's equivalent to kVA. If it's just watts, it's equivalent to VA. Okay, and so when you're doing calculations, you just assume that water heaters and watch, clothes dryers and watch, counter-mounted cooking units and watts, wall-mounted ovens and watts, electric electric heats and watts, but that is equivalent to VA, okay? Remember that, because we're always trying to solve everything down to VA. I just want you to know that those things might be given in watts, but it, it's equivalent to VA, all right? So we're trying to add up the VA. So in this case, uh, you want to use 5,000 watts at the minimum for a clothes dryer, which equates to 5,000 VA, or the nameplate rating, whichever is larger, okay? So 5,000 is your default. If the nameplate is actually larger than uh, 5,000, then you're going to use the actual uh, nameplate, okay, in this application, all right? Make it simple, clean, crisp, easy to understand uh, in your application. And remember, when you're doing this, it's also good to take your time and say, I also need to remember that the neutral load for this, because I'll need it later, is going to be 70% of whatever that VA is, okay? 70%, uh, and that's in accordance with 220.61b. So it just saves you a step if you go in and do that now while you're there and write it out to the side. But anyway, um, there you go. So that's your, your application. All the things that we've done up to this point, uh, generally, most all of the appliances, most all the stuff is probably 120, except for the water heater. If it's not 120, then you don't add that in your 120 volt loads to size of neutral. But up to this point, the general lighting, small appliance, laundry, uh, fastened in place, except for things that are 240, are going to add and contribute to the neutral. So you kind of kind of make a little mark that you're going to have to add those things and take away the things like the water heater from the values. But that's that's where you're allowed to be right there. Okay, saving you some steps here. Okay, the next thing would be your ranges. Okay, so now we're at D, uh, part D. Okay, moved through every aspect of it. We we moved through A, B, C, and D. Now we're at, near, we're at D, and that is the range ovens, cooktops, and other household cooking appliances that are over 750 watts. Uh, if they're under 750 watts, you take them at their value. If they're over 750 watts, then you have to go to 220.55. Okay, now here's another thing. Ranges, ovens, cooktops, and household cooking appliances are not a requirement by the National Electrical Code. Although every single dwelling using has them because they have a kitchen and the definition of kitchens require cooking. So at the end of the day, you know, you're always going to have a range. But I'm just saying, 
It's not a mandate. The code doesn't tell me that I have to include a range, an oven, or cooktop in it. Okay? I guess the code allows you to starve to death, but I guess you don't have to cook. You can get stuff that goes in a refrigerator, I guess, and never have to cook. But just understand that step. So you see how we're breaking these down. You're going from the clothes dryer. That's 220.54. The next, you're systematically going down to 220.55. You're dealing with your ranges. If you don't know how to do the range calculations, um, and when you're dealing with maybe a range and a cooktop or whatnot, go watch my video on range calculations. I do an extensive video that explains range, cal range calculations. Uh, I don't want to rehash that here. I'm just kind of going through the steps for you. All right, the next one you're going to look at is heating and air conditioning. Okay, now you're going to compare the heat and the AC. And whichever is smaller, you're going to omit it. And that's 220.60. Okay, now when you're doing this, you want to include the air handler when using either one because an air handler is going to work whether or not you're in heating mode or you're in cooling mode. So when you're adding those things up, you got to remember that the air handler is going to be utilized regardless. Okay. Now, if it's a heat pump, then you want to include the compressor okay, and the maximum amount of electrical heat that can be energized while the compressor is running in your calculation. Okay, so you don't want to, you have to take those things into account when you're comparing the two. Okay, if you're just an air handler, eh, whether you're doing heat or AC, has to be included for both when you're calculating that out. And if you're doing a heat pump, remember that in that value for the heat pump, if it's a heat pump, obviously it does heating and air conditioning. So you want to include the compressor value and you want to include the maximum amount of electric heat that can be energized while the compressor is running. What is the maximum value that it can produce? All right, and that's what you take into consideration, and that's going to be the higher. So um, you take, and obviously, the electric heat versus what the cooling is part of it is, uh, and then you're comparing the two. But you need to remember that that step, okay, we went through A, we went through B, we went through uh, C, D, and that is E as you're going. So now on an exam, you want to be able to do each one of these. So they maybe just give you the heating and air conditioning loads and want to know which one do you use and how do you apply it. And so just be prepared to do that. Now, if you don't understand how to do the difference between AC and heat, then go watch our video on the optional method and the standard method. And we walk you through the concept of how to do that. Okay. Now, the next one most people probably skip because it probably doesn't make that big a difference in the real world. But on an exam, it's low-hanging fruit that I can see people putting on an exam. And that is when you get down to the largest motor. Okay, So you're already taking into account your motors and your calculations for your appliances and you know clothes dryers and motor. But there are motors that are in your system like the motors for your disposal and things like that, which is basically a pure motor. Um, dishwashers, you take the appliance, you don't add the motor to that aspect of it. Um, but you, and, you know, and, but you would for like a disposer, things like that. Uh, so, and, and you would have a motor if, for example, the AC needs, is your largest load, and you, you would take into account the motor associated with that motor compressor. That might be your largest load. Uh, that type of scenario, okay? Depending on what you have as far as heat versus AC or which one you choose. You might have a heat that's your largest, uh, like a baseboard or something that actually has no motor loads in it. So, you know, you're going to have to find your motor load somewhere else. The point is, once you get to this step, you take the largest motor, and that is coming to you by 220.50, and 
430.24, which basically 430.24 is reminding you that you take all motors that are continuous loads, and most of them are in this case, at 125%. So you've already taken the motor that might be already utilized in the appliance or might already be factored into um, something else, but you're adding an additional 25% to account for that. And that is your largest motor. And you only have to do it one time. It's not for every motor, okay? It's just one time. Um, and so you need to take that, that into consideration. And simply take the VA of that largest motor. You should already, you already, you know, whatever it is. And on an exam, they're going to give you that value, okay? They're going to give you the air handler motor. Uh, they might even give you the air conditioning compressor, uh, the condenser fan motor. Uh, they're going to give you the value for the waste disposal motor. And usually on an exam, it's going to correlate in, if it's a motor, it'll be followed by a horsepower rating, or it'll be followed with something in parentheses that lets you know that they're talking about the motor, like an air handler motor, that type of thing. Because generally, when you're considering the air handler, um, that is main thing in an air handler is the motor, okay, the blower. So it's already encompassed in the individual item that you're adding, but here it's just saying look for the largest motor and include that an additional 25% for that largest motor, okay? It's about the simplest that I can, can do for that, okay? All right, so now you've got all these, these different items here. So now you, that, that's all consists of what we call demand load. That's your total VA demand load. Now, I simply add up all of those values together to find the required VA. So I had part A, Whereas I covered the general lighting receptacle, small appliance and branch and laundry, I applied a demand factor in table 220.42. That was the first 3,000 at 100. The next, after 3,001, up to 120,000. Uh, then I was able to apply a 35%. And then any value that's over 120, I applied 25%. Probably not going to happen in the dwelling, but you get the point. Uh, I write that number down. The next thing I went was the fasten in place. If I have fewer than four units, then I take their VA value based on their nameplate. And I might have to do a, a little Ohm's Law, Watts Law conversion there in order to find my VA. But once I have that VA, I add all three of them up and I add it to my load. Okay. Uh, if I have four or more, then I'm allowed to take that same approach, add them all up, and then I can apply demand factor 75%. So that's that's part that moves into step B or phase B. The next thing is if a closed dryer is present, I go to 220.54. It's 5,000 watts or is equivalent to VA. Or if the nameplate is higher, I take the value of the nameplate. If it is higher, whichever is larger, I take that. If the nameplate's less than five, I still take 5,000 as the minimum. Okay. Uh, the next thing is the next step would have been the ranges, ovens, cooktops, whatever. I'd use that. I go to 220.55. Uh, if it's, if it's, 75 is 1750 watts. I simply take that value or whatever the value is of the appliance. If it is over 1750 watts, then I have to utilize table 220.55. It'll give us some general use. I can tell you, just as for, for kicks and giggles, most normal ranges inside of a dwelling, we're simply going to use 8 uh, kW uh, in that scenario, which is 8000 VA. That's typically what we're going to use. Uh, but uh, there are applications, if it if it falls under 8, uh, for example, uh, you get to apply demand factor because if I'm in, let's say, 220.55 and I go to the table, let's say my, my range is 8 kW. 
Well, if it's 8KW, I've got two options. There's only one appliance. I can use column C, which says I have to always use column C unless it's permitted in note three. Note three tells me, well, if it's over one and three quarter through eight and three quarter, in lieu of column C, I can use the nameplate and apply it in column A or B, whichever it falls in. In our case, if it was 8KW, it'd actually fall in column B. So then I could use an 80% demand factor, and that's going to be less than eight. Because if it was 8,000 KW and I can go 80% of that, then it's a no-brainer. You know that it's going to be less than 8. So I get to choose the lesser of the two, so I'm going to use column B's option. Okay, um, So that's the kind of things you have to think about, and that's the value that would go down in your on your calculation here. Um, so then I move to the next step, which is heat and air conditioning. I have to compare the two. I have to remember that it is an air handler unit for AC, and then I have some kind of separate heat, uh, maybe strip heat or whatever I've got, maybe... I don't know, baseboard heat, I have to compare the two. Um, and I'll have to remember that in some cases, if I have AC and heat, which both are utilizing an air handler, then I have to take the air handler's motor value in both my comparatives between the AC and heat because that air handler motor is going to be working whether it's heat or AC. All right. Uh, like I said, if it's baseboard heat, then it has no role in the air handler. So I'm simply comparing that value of whatever it happens to be to my AC value. And of course, in my AC value, I'm going to include the air handler. I'm going to include the air conditioner, compressor. Uh, I'm going to include the condenser fan motor. And then I'm going to compare that to my electric heat, which may be baseboard heat at 5kW. There's three of them. That's 15,000 uh, 15, uh, uh, 15, watts or 15,000 VA. And I have to compare that to what my AC was, and I take the larger of the two. Right, uh, And then it, next, it takes me to the largest motor. So whatever happens to be the largest motor. Now, incidentally, if in the same example, I took the heat and it was baseboard and the heat was larger than the AC, the largest motor that I would take into consideration would not be the largest motor if it was in the AC because I didn't take the AC previously. I took the heat. It was the largest. And it's obviously greater than the AC, so it's going to account for any addition. But then I have to look for the other largest motor. In this case, it might be under the appliances. It might be the disposer. Okay, in sync disposal, waste disposer. That might be the largest motor. Okay, so then I take whatever that VA was and I do it at 25% and I add that value there. Okay, so I'm adding that uh, multiplied by 25% so that I can get that little additional value that I put on top of that motor. All right, and basically that's what we did. And then once we add up all those values, then and only then can we start to do the math and determine what our minimum service size is. And that is take the the total volt ampere demand that we just calculated in all those steps, right? And then I'm going to divide it by whatever the voltage is. In most cases, in dwellings, it's 240 volts. And that's going to give me the minimum amperes. Now I'm going to go try to find a overcurrent device to find out what my rating or service rating is going to be. So I go to 240.6A, and whatever it is, I, if it doesn't correspond, I go to the next size, and now that is my service rating. Now, once I establish my service rating, I can do two things. I can size my conductors based on 31015B16, or if it falls within 100 to 400 amperes, and I meet all of the rules that are in 31015B7, and there's certain rules there, then the best optimal size for this service conductors allow me to utilize what we call the 83% rule which is basically an old table that used to be in 31015B7 that got moved back to the inf informational Annex D, which in the 2020 code actually is coming back again. And all that was based on 83% of the service rating. So that allows me to choose my minimum size conductors at that point. All right? 
And so we kind of moved through that. And of course, then your neutral sizing again in 220.61. Uh, one of the things to remember that I have to have a conductor that can one handle the load uh, and meets the calculated load in 220.61. Uh, it also can't be sized smaller than what's in table 250.102C1 uh, and all that type of stuff for that grounded conductor. Okay, um, so that's the things to remember when I'm sizing the neutral. And again, I'm going through this pretty quickly. Go watch the videos on the optional and standard method. It's really going to make sense and hammer home how you utilize the different parts into this. So I just wanted to kind of do a quick overview. And when I say quick, I'm still 38 minutes into it. All right. And then again, lastly, sizing the grounding electroconductor again based on 250.66. That's going to be based on the size of the service conductors. Okay. That we calculated. All right. That we selected. Whatever we size we chose, we selected. That's what we're going to base it on. Okay. All right. Now. Equipment grounding conductors, if we're going downstream to a remote distribution panel, the equipment grounding conductor is going to be based on 250.122 based on the size of the overcurrent device that's upstream. We get all that. Pretty easy to follow. Um, but I kind of just wanted to move you through uh, how we, we, we do everything in, in the process for a standard method. So if you break it down, make it simple. Do the first part that we know. Let it transition between 220.12 and then go over into 220.52, go from A down to B, then to go to 220.53, then go to 220.54, then go down to 220.55. Okay, don't forget that you're going to have a 220.50, which is dealing with the largest motor. But I say wait until the end because in the real world, that's not going to really make that big a difference. On an exam, it might. Um, but then you go to heat in 220.60. Um, and then you, of course, remember that you're 220.50 for the largest motor, and you only take one motor. Uh, and then you add all those values up, and then you can divide that by the voltage, and that's going to give you the minimum amps you need. Go find your overcurrent device. Once you know that rating, if it falls between 100 and 400, then all you meet all the rules in 31015B7, and you got to go read those rules because there's some caveats to it. Okay, that panel has to handle 100% of the load. Okay, it can't be broken off and have some kind of breaker upstream with the, with breakers in it. And it feeds an outside unit before it even gets to the panel. That's not going to work. It's got to handle 100% of the loads within that enclosure. Okay, that's a key to this uh, because of diversity. All right, so hopefully that helps you a little bit, kind of runs you down through it. I know it went longer than I wanted, but I really wanted to give you something you can listen to that helps hammer home when you're on an exam. Learn to do each part. Learn how to do the small appliance and general lighting. Uh, I mean, yeah, in the uh, laundry and everything under the, the general lighting and receptacle load concept in part A. Remember that. Understand how to do fasten in place. Remember that. It's just a component. It's just a piece. Okay? It's just like building blocks. The next, if a dryer's, closed dryer is present, there you go, 220.54. If the range oven, learn how to do it specifically in 220.55. Understand that. AC versus heat, really focus on 220.60. Learn that by itself. Okay, learn it by itself. And then the largest motor, just understand what's included in that and what's not for the largest motor. Uh, and then that's really the key to understanding the standard method. That's it. And then you can kind of put these building blocks together and work through it. But if you learn how to do them in pieces, it's really going to help you pass an exam because exams generally not going to give you a, a whole focus on a whole calculation. Okay, they're going to give you pieces to test your knowledge, okay, that you know where to go to find these things, okay? So anyway, hopefully that helps you out. Uh, again, if you have any questions on this, 
feel free to contact us here at uh, Electrocode Academy. Uh, I encourage you to uh, get any of our courses. We have some great courses online for residential, commercial, industrial, uh, grounding and bonding that really will go in depth and really take your game to the next level, learning all these concepts. If you're a master electrician and you want to take your game to the next level, we have the CMECP program. That's over on mycmecp.com. Go visit that and read more about it. Uh, any questions in general or future podcasts that you'd like to see, just reach out to us here at info, I-N-F-O, at masterthenec.com or info at electricalcodeacademy.com. I'm more than happy to answer any questions. Go to our website. You'll see Contact Us button on the top navigation bar. You can send it that way if you want. So uh, look forward to answering those questions, and thank you all for listening to our podcast. Till next time, stay safe. Every day the future's getting closer. Every day the future's looking bright. Every day is another beginning.